Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. And welcome to episode 131 of Geek Town Radio. This week I have with me... <laughs> Matt! <laughs> hey, how are you doing today? I'm alright, how are you? Better than, better than last night. So good, good, <laughs> good. Yeah, doing alright yeah. today. Good, good. So, it's a new week, what have you been up to? Well, I just finished playing a game that came out, it was actually earlier this year, uh, called Prey, that's P-R-E-Y, so like... Yes. An animal hunting, it's Prey, not like Prey to god or whatever yeah which symbolizes some of the game like when reavers and those sort of things are coming after you it's essentially a like survival space game like you have certain amounts of um, different supplies and you uh, you eventually pick up different weapons so you go from like having a wrench your basic sort of melee attack kind of thing where you run into mimics they're basically like sort of space ants right and then you pick up a glue gun which is one of the more useful weapons in the game you could probably do the whole game with with the glue gun right but but using other things when you need to it's essentially like you can spray enemies to make them sort of stop in their tracks so you sort of super glue them like so that they they can't move together Uh, and then you can use it to like reach high places so when you shoot it against a wall it comes out with these big uh circle block kind of things so you can climb on them and and kind of make your own own staircase but doing that specifically can use quite a bit of ammo so uh there was a particular situation where i had like 10 shots left and i had to try i was trying to do it with like two two different ones and one of them was slightly too high and i could jump up and i was getting attacked and that kind of thing really did enjoy the game right up until I got to somewhat of an ending the ending in the game is very very stretched out it's a case of like okay Morgan can now either get in a pod and leave the space station and leave all these enemies and all all the people that you eventually meet behind or you can use a self-destruct key and essentially blow up everything nice I think there's like four or five different endings as well I'm not sure what the other ones are and I got to such a point where it was like um, because overcomes certain characters talk to you yeah. and they say oh Morgan you need to do this or that and some of this stuff is like pre-recorded so if you need someone's key card to access an area they'll leave like a transcribe behind and you can listen right. to that and yeah, you yeah. say oh meet me in this area and then you find out that's where they died therefore that's where the, the key thing is on them but the ending got to such a point where I got stretched out that I actually watched the rest of it on YouTube because it was <laughs> sort of like 
it just got to a point where the ship was getting so overcrowded with enemies and I was getting so low on ammo that I was like, I don't know if I can like do yeah, this, yeah. this. I'm just going to end up keep dying. And you can run through the enemies, but only to a certain degree where like there's certain elevators that if you have the key for, you can put the key in, but you still have to type in the code. And while you're typing in the code, enemies are attacking you and, yeah. and then you have to wait for that to load and stuff. But apart from the ending and how stretched out it was, I did enjoy the game. Good. It, it gets to a point where something because the ship is so damaged it's like this is broken so you have to go here and do this all this needs to code so you have to go and do this and some of these things are like on the other side of the ship or they're on a different floor or they have loads of enemies in the way so I was just like I'm just going to watch the re- I'm just going to find up, find where I am to a point uh, with some like, let's player or something and then just watch the rest of it so <laughs> yeah. that's what I ended up doing but after that it was a good game good Good. I then moved on from that to uh, Nier Automata. I think that's how you say the name of it. It's a Japanese game, so I've probably pronounced it wrong. Right. It, um, and I've only played a few hours, it's, so I don't know that much about the story, but it's essentially like a third-person sort of samurai, uh, futuristic type of game. There's some story at the moment, and it's being kind of it gets kind of hinted at earlier on, but uh, I'm going to have to work, work my way through some of the story to understand more of it. But you essentially play as this samurai called 2B, and then you meet another one called 9 s uh the one that you play as is a girl then you meet this boy and then he he helps you fight uh, the first boss he gets damaged but then he he comes back later and he's fine um right. and then you basically you basically just go off and do adventures by yourself start the game is very different to the rest of it like it looks like a very linear set kind of game but when you get into when you get past the intro it's like this massive open world but you, oh, can, cool. you can go out and explore and like defeat enemies and get rewards and that kind of thing yeah and the game also stresses to you like so many different times like there's no auto save and they, they, you even bump <laughs> into this uh person you bump into this character and you can ask some questions like how do i save how do i upgrade and all this kind of stuff and then you ask them how you save and they go, okay, there's no auto save. And they put like an exclamation mark and then they explain to you that, um, there's these different save points around the map. And if you're like near one of them, but not right next to it, you can still quick save. So that's right. quite good. And then you they give you this whole speech. You get to the end. It's just like, just throw a mind up. No auto save. like capital letters and stuff. <laughs> right, I get the point. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no auto save, but that's been quite good as well. Uh, I've only played about three, maybe four hours, but the combat's pretty good. You get this gun that doesn't run out of ammo, at least it hasn't yet. So you get cool. this sword and stuff. It, it's quite good. What else have I been doing? I've been watching Black Lake on BBC. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know if it's particularly popular at the moment. I just sort of found it when I was searching through shows on there. Yeah. It's about this group of students that go to this cabin thing in Switzerland. And this one particular girl notices that every night that they go to sleep, there's this banging by this door. And then eventually like, they set up these cameras and stuff. And you see that like the door's opening on its own. It's a little bit cliche, but it's still very good for what it tries to do yeah uh, you know the whole like oh look the door's opening and like, there's nothing in there and this character's gonna walk through it and all that kind of stuff they're doing two episodes every saturday i've got this saturday's episodes to watch actually right but i think that's been quite good it's got subtitles but i, I don't have a problem with that so yeah it's a watched, scandinavian show isn't it so. yeah i think so because i watched the return and that had subtitles as well yeah. So that's been quite good. It's certainly 45 minutes as well as opposed to an hour. Sometimes right. BBC shows have an hour long. Have you seen that yourself? I haven't, no. I, I should watch more of those kind of Scandi 
noir dramas, but I don't watch that many of them. But uh, mm. yes, I've I've been told that it, it is good. They've got some good things with it. Have you uh, played either of the games that I uh, mentioned? Um, Prey, no, no, I've not played either of them. Um, Prey, I played, there was an original version of yeah. Prey, which was a, a, an entirely sort of different game written by uh, Gary Witter, who's the guy that wrote the original um, Walking Dead game as well. But he wrote the first the Prey game. Uh, yeah, the Telltale game. Oh, yeah. yeah. He, he, same writer. Yeah, he, I mean, I've, I've played that one. I've just not played the newer one, which came out more recently. I'm aware of the old one, but I haven't seen any of it. So, yeah, yeah when they, when Bethesda, because Bethesda is the one that, that does uh, Prey, yeah, because uh, they do all the fallouts and Skyrims and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So you can see that it, it fits in that kind of world, but more in like a space sense. There was rumors a few years ago that they were, they were doing another one, because I think they, they changed their development because they were going to make this like Bounty Hunter style game, which definitely isn't what it, it would have ended up being. But yeah. I guess uh, at some point in development, they changed it and changed it into this other game mm. the game Nia that I mentioned is a, is a PlayStation exclusive right because that's one of their like JRPG partnership games that they have yeah so there's that and there's Black Lake Dr. Foster been keeping up with have you been I haven't I haven't no yeah. it's one that I still need to go and watch because I completely missed the first season as well but uh, yes I've okay. been hearing good things it's a very very dark show with bits of comedy thrown in but and it has like these bits of comedy thrown in even in like the dark parts of it like when Gemma and, and the husband are, are talking and then like they get into an argument but then they joke about something yeah. um, almost in like a Harley Quinn Joker sense right it's kind of what it what it's the point that it's got to like they sort of interesting uh, not in the same loving no. sense though no. so uh, in, in more of a more of a hate sense but you right. know that there's there's still something there between them so yeah. maybe not quite the right comparison but uh, along those kind of lines so uh, that's been pretty good as well. That's had three episodes. Season second season is almost over. Only yes. two episodes left. Yes. I have actually managed to keep up with uh, Fear the Walking Dead because it's on the uh, Microsoft shop thing store. Oh, is it? Because they they got their video section. You can you can buy season passes for like Game of Thrones, Walking Dead, Flash, all yeah, these yeah, yeah. kind of shows. Because I split the. Uh, season pass with someone that I watch it with and um, bought like the ST version and uh, right. so, so I've uh, managed to keep up with that without getting the uh, the BT stuff so yes stick to the, the now TV it's, I got an, a thing coming up I'm going to write about it as well it is just another kind of zombie show but it's fine in that way like when they announced this this show we we knew it wasn't gonna like rival or compete with the walking dead although surprisingly there are some people in the community that can prefer the walking dead which you, you might find interesting yeah um, yeah i'd heard that so yeah those kind of people got to the point where like they don't feel like they're doing the comics right and because i guess this isn't it's based on the comic but not for the storyline that they just prefer the like sort of separate story to it uh but that's been quite good as well it's got about four weeks left and then walking Dead. It goes straight back into Walking Dead, so that's been quite good as well. Yeah, that's about it for, for what I've been watching stuff. Apart from weekly stuff, you know, like Nashville and and so yeah, on. yeah. And I'm going to go and try and watch. We've got new, new Star Trek, haven't we? They're, yes, they're starting today. Yes, so. we have got the new Star Trek, which I actually watched this morning. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, it's it's not exactly Star Trek that you'd necessarily recognise if you're a fan of Next Generation and that sort of stuff. It's it is very updated and sort of modernized you know playing much more to a modern audience the interesting thing about the first two episodes i'm going to be very careful with what i say here because i don't want to spoil any of it for anybody but the first yeah yeah, um but the first two episodes 
are almost a prequel to Star Trek Discovery, if that makes sense. Because uh-huh. it's sort of, the the opening episodes is kind of a coda before the proper show really begins it's it's setting up the introduction to uh, michael who is a girl but she's an equal and martin green's character um all over this yes, promotion and but she's like she's the sort of lead character throughout but it's sort of giving you a bit of background and setting up her who that character is really that sort of the opening episode and and the larger plot points about who the bad guys are going to be and and that sort of stuff. So a lot of it is set up for, for in those opening two episodes, but it's done incredibly well. There's a lot of action in it. The um, it's beautifully shot. I mean, it's really really nicely shot. They've they've done a good job with updating things and. I mean, it's not like it was ever going to dovetail into the original series in any way, shape or form, because mm. it's very difficult to present a show now, which then is, you know, it, which is a prequel to a show that went out in the 60s and have it look right. You know, it was it, that was never going to really happen. So the technology looks a lot more advanced than it does on the original series. But, you know, I think mm-hmm. I think they've done a decent job in, you know, things like the communicators are the old style flip phone style communicators and, uh, you know, the phases are what you'd expect them to be from the original series. So, I mean, you know, a lot of the tech is is there and it's based on stuff that had been established throughout like 50 years of, trek history but i think they've done a solid job with it the other thing is they um netflix have picked up after trek as well which is the follow-on show oh. you know like yeah. uh, talking dead they've yeah. they've talking also dead, yeah Thronecast and that stuff they've mm. got a show called after trek which they've picked up so you can watch that as well if you want that's that's been picked up yeah, on Netflix section. No, like, um, I well, I mean, it popped up like straight after I finished watching the first two episodes. That popped up as being the next thing to watch, you know, okay. on Netflix. So, uh, so it is on Netflix with it as well. I, hmm. I suspect they will push that as being now. If you watch the episode, go and watch After Track. Yeah, or it will uh, start in fifteen seconds unless you cancel. Yeah, so. yeah, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but yeah, yeah. it's uh, first two episodes are now on Netflix and. After Trek is on Netflix, so uh, worth going to watch. I think mm-hmm. it seems to have had a fairly positive reaction so far. I think I know some people. I haven't are actually seen any like consensus yet because I know last week there were some critics that went and saw it. Yeah, which yeah. actually confused me because I was like, "Doesn't this start on the 25th? And then yeah. I found out, "Oh, it's the critics." And now, yeah. like, "Oh, okay, that's like people that watch it screeners and that kind of thing." So. Yeah, yeah. They uh, originally they were saying it was sounding like they wasn't going to give any press screenings, but it sounds like they did eventually, and mm. uh, it's been pretty positive from what I can see. So uh, I, I don't know if you're a hardcore Trek fan, it might annoy you in places, but I, I think they did a very good job with it. So I mean, I because uh, my nan used to watch Star Trek and stuff, and I never. I never got into like the old series and stuff. So it's probably a good like fresh jumping on point for me as well. So, yeah, I would have thought uh, and so. And it's like the day after and it's on Netflix and stuff. So it's, yeah. uh, it's quite nice. Yeah, yeah. So there's that. Also sticking with sci-fi type stuff, Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams, second one of those went out this week, which is called The Impossible Planet. I meant to talk about that, yeah. Yeah, so do, have you have you watched these yet? I did watch the first one, the, the Hoodmaker. Hoodmaker, yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to keep watching the show because each you know episode is, is a new thing, but um, and I liked it in general, but I think for the story for the first episode, I wasn't all that kind of into it. Right, yeah. The, 
for the plot. But then again, with like I said, with with these kind of anthology episode shows, you could just jump in next week with, with a new story and stuff. But I, I liked it in general, just yeah. not the particular kind of storyline that they picked for that is that on Sundays as well yeah that going out Sunday nights on channel 4 I mean the impossible planet again is I mean the thing is it's sci-fi but it's kind of quite a cerebral kind of sci-fi I guess (laughs) you know it's not like full-on shooty shooty alien type it's not that sort of thing because Philip K. Dick's work isn't really like that you know Um, I mean the same with the impossible planet slightly confusing end to it i suppose but it sort of fits with the type of thing that it is you know um i think it fits in i mean there's been some criticism of the fact that they they appear to be changing bits of philip kedick's short story work for no major obvious reason i think there are a lot of reasons for making changes where with Mm -hmm. the hood maker they change like when isn't that a bit like when they do walking dead and they stick to certain stories but change certain things isn't it just a bit like that yeah there is a certain amount of that you know and they're using the they're using the short stories as a kicking off point and inspiring ideas and i i really enjoyed the impossible planet i thought it was good as i say the the ending i think is different to the book from what i've been reading but i thought it's well acted solidly put together it was an interesting idea again I'd be very interested to see how this goes down with an audience and whether Channel 4 end up commissioning a second season of it as well. Mm-hmm. But it was good. I, I enjoyed it. I mean, um, there's 10, isn't there? There's 10 in total. There's, yeah. I think, six this year and then four next year, I think, is how they're split it. So, oh, okay. so it's, there's a little bit of a split in it. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's good. If you go to watch episode seven, it won't be that when you... Yes. Uh, Check, so, yes yeah. so we've got that we've got um the good place as well which turned up on netflix this week as i've said before i've already seen the first season of this so i jumped straight in on the second season honestly brilliantly funny show well worth watching through if you've not caught it yet uh, i won't go into any detail on the second season because i think that will spoil it for people so uh, do go and watch the good place if you haven't caught it yet russell howard hour i watched which is a new show on sky one which is basically russell howard's good news but an hour long uh, which okay. is no bad thing as far as I'm concerned because I really enjoy the Russell Howard's good news I thought it was a great show and this is almost exactly the same format it's him doing topical comedy on a weekly basis with a few guests and some positive stories thrown in as well so you know it's it's basically the same thing and then the Shannara Chronicles which was my major binge watch this week because I missed it when it was on TV and it's now on Netflix you can get the whole first season on Netflix so so I binged my way through that. That's that's quite an interesting show if you've not seen it. It's proper fantasy, basically. I mean, it's it, you know, it's elves and um, trolls and all that sort of thing. And but- then you <laughs> yeah, and Manu Bennett. Yeah. But um, it's set in, it's kind of set, I suppose, in a post-apocalyptic future because it, oh, is yeah. set, it is set on Earth. It's just in an Earth that has basically been, the society is obviously something happened and society has died. So there's relics like you, they'll walk past like cars that are rusting and that sort of stuff. 
and uh, some of the locations that they end up using are old human locations. And some of the humans have survived, but elves seem to be the major kind of dominant race now. It's proper kind of high fantasy of, of sort of a group of people based around their royal family. They've got to go and get a thing which stops another thing, which is stopping the rise of a bunch of demons. You know, so, I mean, it's, it's classic fantasy stuff, but I really enjoyed it. I thought it was, it was really nicely put together. It looks stunning on screen. I mean, it's all shot in New Zealand. So, but yeah, worth going to check out. The second season of that is coming back next month, I think, sometime in October. I think that arrives on uh, Five USA. I think they're airing that. So, uh, but worth going to check out. Okay. I did watch the first three episodes or so, and it was good. I just, I just didn't really get into it. Though. Yeah, I, I get that. And uh, I sort of binged my way through it. I think it sort of picks up towards the second half of the season because it's only like 10 episodes and they're 40, 45 minutes each, something like that. And uh, yeah, the, there's a lot of exposition and stuff in those early episodes, but it does pick up quite a lot more towards the end of that first season. So, uh, so it might be worth going back to. And then gaming-wise, I've finished my epic run on fallout 4 which has taken oh. about two months to do so i finished that and i've moved on to south park the stick of truth which i played through once already but this is obviously the south park game which came out in 2014 i think so it's a few years old now yeah. I, it's just as funny as i remember it the first time it's great fun my main reason for going back to that is because the new south park game the fractured but whole is um coming out next month so uh, I wanted to sort of play through the original because the second game takes place the day after the first game, apparently. So oh, okay. so it's a, it's a proper continuation of, of the original, of the first mm. game. Um, They'll probably make some sort of joke about that as well. So. I'm sure they will. Yeah. I'm sure there'll be yeah. a lot of in-jokes. In there are a lot of in-jokes in, uh, in the Stick of Truth as well. Uh, the thing that inspired me to do that was because I was at EGX this week. So uh, we'll uh, go into a little bit more detail about the uh, about EGX in a moment. I was at EGX this week and I think Ubisoft actually probably had the largest collection of of games there. I mean there were there were people there from PlayStation, uh, Microsoft were there with the Xbox One Xbox what is it Xbox One X is it? The yeah. New it, one. Yeah. There's the Xbox One and the Xbox One S and the Xbox One X. Yeah, so, so they, they were demoing S and X are a bit similar. So, yes, yeah. they were demoing demoing the Xbox One X apparently there which is sort of the first time people have got their hands on it i didn't actually get to play with it because i only was there for the day and mm -hmm. the queues i mean it's same with the ubisoft stand the queues to get into games on the ubisoft stand were about an hour to two hours okay. uh and the same with the xbox and the playstation stuff that i just ridiculous queues for those so i i didn't actually get to play many of the uh sort of or any of the triple a stuff or or play on the the hardware so i can't really tell you much about them other than yeah, as I say, Ubisoft was there with uh, South Park. They were there with Assassin's Creed Origins, uh, Far Cry 5 they had demos of, and uh, Mario plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle as well was also there. Uh, so there's a few photos from me wandering around DGX up on the uh, Instagram account at Geektown UK. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, for the, from the bits that I actually saw of it that was sort of playing on video screens and stuff, they, I mean, they look really good. I, I kind of 
didn't really want to go and play any of the South Park game because I've already got it pre-ordered. So yeah. I'm, I'd rather just, yeah, yeah, I want to save it all for that. I was quite interested in Assassin's Creed Origins. There's been a few posts I've seen around online of people saying that somebody, whoever developed Assassin's Creed Origins, appears to have been playing The Witcher 3 quite a lot, which is no bad thing if that is true. That's an incredible game. Yeah, because so. that is an incredible game. And, yeah. and the problem is if you have your sights set on that, I think you're probably going to be disappointed because I suspect it's nowhere near as good. But, um, no, you know, interesting. Ubisoft. Don't say anything particularly bad about Ubisoft. They're no, just, no. Not, it's just not going to be as good as The Witcher. No, no, it's not at all. And uh, I've never been a huge fan of the Far Cry franchise. I've never been massively into it. I've dipped in and out of it. This looks like a a fresher sort of take on it. Because I heard very mixed things about 4. Yeah. And I I already wasn't kind of interested. And it's weird because they put this really good villain in in the fourth one. I think he's voiced by Troy Baker. Yes, probably. And I remember playing like the first five hours or so and he's hardly in the game. Um, mm. he like because you see him right at the start he does some intimidating stuff but then he like disappears for the whole game and then Far Cry Prime I just thought no I don't want to go back in time and yeah. play Far Cry basically but I remember finishing it was either two or three the one where you're like stuck on the island kind of thing and that, that was good I, yeah. I just for some reason I've not connected with those games at all the new one does look interesting and um, maybe if it comes up on a deal I might go and buy it but mm. I want to see what the reviews are like for it first so I don't know uh, possibly yeah. I may go back I may go and have a look but I don't know but yeah, there's, um, there's like some different companions and stuff for uh, Far Cry 5. You get like this guy who can come past with this plane. You've got like this uh, sniper kind of woman who can help you. You've got like this dog. And there's, I think there's one more that I, I can't remember at the moment. But uh, it looks like they can make the gameplay last and fresh. So, so there, was, there was those. In terms of a lot of the indie games, which is where, because you can get onto the indie games, that was sort of where that I, I ended up hanging around. There was... A few projects that particularly stood out to me. One of them was created by a guy called Jonathan Nielsen, who I actually spoke to a little bit. That was called Falling Sky. And to be honest, it wasn't really a full game. It was a student project he's done. So it's almost like a tech demo of here's what I can do. It looks stunning, though. Absolutely beautiful. It's very kind of feel of something like Heavy Rain or Life is Strange. Really, really nicely rendered. Not at all the sort of level that you would expect for a student game. Much, much much higher quality than that and uh it did i mean there's a basic story to it in that it's a kid that's sort of been abandoned at home and his older brother has turned up and finds that his parents are missing and uh you know his younger brother who's sort of nine or ten he's hiding out in a little tent in the room and you kind of get him and then take him to a local diner and i mean the story wasn't really the important thing for me on that it was sort of just showing off what the guy can do so uh yeah it's called jonathan nilson it really going to be somebody to keep an eye out for that because I think you know if he can keep that level of stuff up on when he's actually kind of working full time because I think he's he's only recently graduated so uh, yeah. uh, whether he makes Falling Sky into a full thing or whether he ends up going and do something else he wasn't entirely sure when I spoke to him but uh, certainly very very interesting I thought that was there was another game called Living the Deal which I uh, it's, it's described as a business management sim and this is the sort of game that I get lost in in for hours <laughs> you know it, it's yeah. um do you play a character that's moved to the first time to a new city you're told you have your rent to pay which is due in a month so you've got to pay your rent try not to starve it's got a sort of sim feel to it uh, you know a sim city yeah. kind of feel to it there's it's, new sims coming out as well is there really oh, okay yes yeah. yes yeah. it's uh, being released with current gen consoles that 
loss. So oh, I don't think okay. there's actually a current version for them. Oh, isn't there? Yeah. Interesting. Um, so I, I watched some girl called Susie Lou on, on YouTube. She's been doing a Sims series. And uh, she's not playing the, the one that's coming out, but she went back on one of the PC ones. Yeah. I think it's the Sims 4, the Pets one, that's, that's right, coming out okay. for the Xbox and PS4. Okay. Because, yeah, almost four years that they've been out, there isn't a current yeah, yeah, Sims yeah. game. Yeah. Very strange. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this is a sort of business management sim. Uh, you're looking over the city, various opportunities come up and you've got to kind of go and, you know, you can take a job like flipping burgers to try and sort of just make sure that, you know, keep the wolf in the door and make sure you're not kicked out of the apartment. But right. um, the ultimate idea is to get involved in property management and start flipping properties so mm -hmm. it's it's a lot of kind of you know you're spread you're, you're sort of doing deals with people some shadier than others and you're kind of managing this property portfolio as well as trying to make sure that you're making enough money not to get kicked out of that and to move somewhere better i i guess so uh yeah. but yeah it's one of those things that you can end up sinking just hours it's you know in and uh i it's, it's still kind of quite in early in development that but it's certainly one that i will be looking at a little bit more Team 17 were there uh, with uh, their big game, which is the Escapists. They've got the Escapist 2 there, which is this prison break simulator thing. Yeah, That was a really fun game. I played the first one of that. The Escapist 2, really, it isn't like an entirely different game in any way, shape or form. They've just taken a lot of the, the feedback that they have from users, adjusted things, added new things in. It's more comprehensive crafting system, better combat, and they've upgraded the graphics as well. So uh, it looks far nicer, uh, mm -hmm. but essentially it's the same basic gameplay. They've just tweaked a lot of stuff to make mm -hmm. it a lot nicer. It sounds like something called FIFA. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah so the yeah. FIFA way of developing games. Um, mm. There was another one which I, I completely missed while I was there, and I, but sounded really interesting, called Genesis Alpha 1, which is described as a mix of a roguelike shooter and base-building survival that puts you in the role of an interstellar pioneer so you're basically on a um you're on a spaceship and you can kind of expand bits of the spaceship out and i love building games so uh you know i love oh. games that you can kind of i mean part of the reason that that fallout 4 run took so long was the fact that <laughs> i spent so long building just like bases and stuff when i'm yeah. there so i love those sort of things uh so what was, the, what was the other one you got lost in civilization yeah civilization I, I can spend hours getting lost in civilization i love those sort of those sort of games just i lose hours and hours in it so mm -hmm. um so there was that there was a game with the escapists uh, the escapists the first one um it was a game of gold at some point on the xbox one yeah. um i did a first impressions thing of that like a little 15 minute kind of video i think it's very self-explanatory but that, I, I thought that was quite good as well um, it was like yeah it was like a prison kind of thing and you rapidly move between like you know you have your lunch and then you go and like do these other yeah. bits and then but it was like moving nice and like really quickly there's also strangely a yeah, walking dead version i was gonna I'm not say sure there is yeah what that comes with or what it sort of involves um i've seen i've seen bits and pieces of that one and it's um i think it's like you sort of redo parts of the, the tv series or something yeah i haven't actually played it yet so i couldn't tell you but uh yeah. that that's quite good as well and yeah. then there's like um there's other bundle packages where you can get i think there was the escapists and then there was the walking dead one and then there was one that had like christmas skins on it or, or yeah something like that. there's loads of yeah. extra extra maps and bits and pieces you can get for that yeah so there's that there was a game called deadbeat heroes which i did actually interview the guy for it and 
uh, the recording messed up, so uh, I haven't got that unfortunately. But uh, that was that was really good. It was a um, fast-paced brawler. It's like a crime caper where you're playing superheroes that none of them with powers. So it's all kind of gear-based superhero stuff. It's so like from more Batman esque Yeah, or? yeah, more kind of more more that you're playing with like a, a you know you you play a hero and you kind of pick a team. It's all done from that sort of isometric three-quarter top-down view sort of thing and okay. it's from a an ex-lionhead and rockstar developers uh, adam langridge and uh, ikomi high 80 i think his name is it's inspired by their love of classic beat-em-up arcade games so it's yeah. a lot of kind of button mashing type stuff really but the interesting thing that they've done with this is there's no block button so the only way you can avoid being hit <laughs> is you've got to keep moving and like running and jumping and dashing around it's inspired by those sort of kitsch 60s superhero stuff so things like the classic batman tv show but yeah. it's all set in london so it's all done with a kind of tongue-in-cheek sort of london mm-hmm. thing there's like one person that looks a bit like bruce lee and there's one that looks a little <laughs> bit like austin powers so it's um yeah i mean it was that was really fun i really enjoyed that and the uh, the last one was uh, fear effects sender which is based on the um, classic Fear Effects IP. I did manage to get a bit of an interview with uh, one of the guys behind that game. So uh, this is the interview with them. I'll let them explain a bit more about it and uh, then we'll move on to some TV and film news. Tell me your name and what's the game? I'm Tej, a community manager at Sushi and the game is Fear Effects Sedna. Okay, so uh, where'd the idea for the game come from? Well, actually, Goetia over there is um, was the first game we published with the Square Enix Collective and and then with uh, the, the successful release of that, we started to talk about the Fear Effect IP and we pitched our, our idea for the Fear Effect Sedna, which is a sequel to the original games and original story that we actually co-wrote with uh, the original writer of the Fear Effect series. And then we uh, are now getting close to the, the end stages of development. And this is the latest demo on show here, the, the first part of the level. So uh, it's it's sort of a, a uh, three-quarter sort of top-down view of, of the uh, the game. I'm trying to remember the original, what were the original Fear Effects games? They, uh... so the originals were very similar to that style of um, fixed camera views with the, the animated backgrounds, uh, like Resident Evil kind of yes. thing. And it was just our take on, I mean, I don't know if you played those games recently. It was just a way that we, we were developing games at the time and we trying to take a new approach to the whole thing with our own story and our own new style of gameplay to be able to kind of have our own take on, on the franchise as well. But um, when uh, we launched this on Kickstarter, it was successfully funded and there's a huge response from the Fear Effect community and throughout the whole development of this, we've had a huge demand for Fear Effect 1 to be uh, remade and actually a couple of weeks ago we announced that we'll be making Fear Effect 1 Fear Effect reinvented uh, awesome. and that will keep the same fixed camera views but with updated controls and and visuals very cool so what platforms is coming out on and do you know when it's released can't say a release date just now but um, we should be able to announce that pretty soon and it'll be on PC uh, out on Steam and PS4 uh, Xbox One and that's all I can say <laughs> awesome awesome well it's, it's good fun uh, I probably won't have a career in disabling bombs anytime soon but apart from that yeah it's uh, it, it's been really cool so uh, yeah good luck with it thanks for it 
Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. So that was all the stuff from EGX. Now we have the TV and film news, and we start off with the air date updates. So production has begun on Human Season 3, they've announced this week. This is obviously, I mean, I've been waiting for this to come back for ages. It's going to be a little bit later than usual, because usually it starts around about now. Um, I don't know the exact reason for them moving it back a little bit. I suspect it's something to do with the uh, various talent not being available at the same time that would be maybe my feeling because i know they've been off doing other shows and mid films and stuff so uh, uh. so maybe that's why but uh yeah so that's that's being shot right now so hopefully we'll have a bit more stuff on humans coming up over the uh, next couple of months i uh, i hope if channel four are nice to me <laughs> <laughs> david williams has got another one of his books being turned into a christmas drama this time for the bbc they're doing grandpa's great escape this is on top of sky one who were doing Ratburger already. So he's going to have two Christmas specials for of two of his books, which he's starring in both of them on two different channels over, <laughs> over the Christmas period. So uh, yes, David Williams raking in the cash this year. Netflix have renewed BoJack Horseman for its fifth season, which uh, nice. I still haven't got around to watching. And I know oh, yeah. people talk about watch the four seasons or not started no no not a start i haven't started at all it's one that i've got to go watch at some point yeah i watched the the fifth season recently it was it was very very good everybody tells me it's great i once the rick and morty is finished it's (laughs) run this time i might go and try bojack rothman yeah Um, they've only got three episodes left of that so yeah showtime it's announced have acquired the rights to a book called the president is missing and it's it's based on a novel by james patterson who is the uh wonderful guy behind stupid shows like zoo so uh, (laughs) and uh the uh, the upcoming um instinct drama which as well which is uh being picked up in the u.s uh but it's by james patterson and bill clinton former u.s president so uh, I thought that was kind of interesting because it's basically about the uh, the president going missing uh, or possibly being kidnapped but the president goes missing while serving office but he's written with a guy who actually knows how that might be possible so Mm. uh, so I thought yeah. that was kind of interesting. Also, Sky One have picked up Marvels and Humans to air some point this autumn, but we don't know when yet. I mean, I I think we've spoken about Human Humans before, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, I've I did you ever get to the cinema to see it? Because I watched the first two no, episodes. And, and given what I heard, I wouldn't. I, I'm not saying like your audience shouldn't spend the money, but me personally, I didn't want to yeah. spend the money from from what I heard. Because I think that's fair enough. I mean, yeah. there was a rumor flying around saying it had been cancelled it hasn't been cancelled at least not yet anyway it was just some very poor choice of wording on the abc marketing that led mm. people to believe that because they said the complete first season yeah. and what they were trying to do was distinguish it from the marketing for the imax screenings yeah. but it just made people go oh well they've cancelled it because it's complete and uh, that's not what they 
meant at all. So uh, yeah, there were sites, you know, like comicbook.com who like post some very, very clickbaity sort of stuff. Yeah, they yeah. were saying like, oh, you know, it, it, it's to, it's to get the clicks to say like, oh, look, this shows that people, that critics have been absolutely like saying it's terrible has it's actually been cancelled before it's even aired or any of this kind of stuff. So it's just to get that kind of yeah. buzz. I mean, um, that's that's not to say that it won't be cancelled at some point, yeah. but, um, you know, I mean, I didn't mind the first two episodes, but I have to say I wasn't like completely blown away by it. Okay. And it's difficult to judge because you're watching it in IMAX, and I think the IMAX stuff might have done it more harm than good, possibly. But I, you know, because I think it needed to possibly be better <laughs> to, than it is, and I, yeah. but I just mean the IMAX, IMAX is very unforgiving in the okay. every little possible special effect problem that there might be with that is going to show up on screen. So mm. I thought it was interesting and I think there is potential for quite a good series. I, I just think it's not off to the best start. Okay. Um, so I think go and watch it and see what you think it's, but yeah, mm. uh, I, I don't know whether it does make it out of a first season. I don't know, but you know, remember agents of shield in its first season got absolutely slated by quite a lot of people and that turned itself around. So maybe mm-hmm. this will as well. Yeah. I saw on, um, there's this, because uh, over at Collider they have all these, this um, network of different shows and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And on their on their Collider Heroes thing, this um, the, the main guy at the panel because it was the three of them. They started talking about him in humans, and they they said it would be spoiler free. So I wanted to get their quick like ten minute consensus. And the guy in the middle who was hosting the panel, as they kept talking about it, the, the woman who who was in the panel as well, she's like, "So do you have anything anything else to say about Inhumans?" And he was like, "No, I want to move on. It's like upsetting me and." <laughs> Like, because uh, he, he was saying how he like grew up on these comics or whatever, and yeah. like he was he was disappointed with the portrayals and stuff, and he was like, no, let's just move on and talk about something else. So I was like, oh, all right, it. Uh, but, yeah, you know, I, I haven't seen it myself, so I can't like say anything bad about it particularly because I'm yes, it. yes. Speaking of of the difficulty of getting comic book things to TV, um, mm-hmm. work has actually officially started on the Damian Lindoff's adaptation of Watchmen for HBO which I'm quite excited about because, um, yeah. I mean, oh, you know, there was the movie version and I think he had a fairly good stab. I mean, I'm not the biggest Zack Snyder fan, but I think he had a fairly good stab at it for the film. Mm-hmm. I, I think it was a very, very tough sell to do that in a cinematic format in two hours. I think that's very difficult. It always needed to be a long form format because of the type of book that it is. It needed to be on HBO or Netflix or Amazon. Mm-hmm. It needed to be somewhere where you could make it like r-rated and uh, get really kind of dirty with it and messy and you know it yeah. needed that yeah. so i i'm really excited for this because damien lindoff's great i mean he's one of the guys behind uh lost and uh oh, i can't remember the leftovers. other uh, leftovers that's the other show so you know very popular very in with hbo and um i think watchman is is a fascinating book to go for particularly mm. in in the sort of current political climate because it was okay. all set around kind of nixon era stuff and you know so i think now it's it's going to be interesting to see where they go with it things in the right place in terms of hbo it's not like like can you imagine that like a cw or like an abc yeah, yeah, no it's no just, it'd be yeah. awful so it, it'd be uh, like if you put the witcher on abc or yeah. amc or something it just it would be 
half decent, but the real potential wouldn't be there. So, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, you know, I'm really looking forward to this. I think it's got the right guy behind it. It's in the right place. It's got some great mm. source material and, you know, TV format was always the way it should have been. So I think that'll yeah. be really good. I, I think in terms of what you said, in terms of, um, you know, films being only two hours and stuff, I think that's the, actually the problem with video game films is sometimes it's the quality, like Assassin's Creed wasn't very good. Yeah. Um, but it's the case of like you need these long form stories because these games are like so many hours and stuff yeah. uh, and you, you, you need more time to, to flesh these things out. That, yeah. That's why I also think that um, the Witcher series on Netflix should be very good because they'll get more time to tell the story and it's on Netflix as well. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I know. Yeah. I, I was very yeah. excited when they said that that's where the Witcher series was going. I mean, we've also had the uh, the trailer for Tomb Raider this week as well. Which looks like the trailer for the game. Yeah, it does. Action. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely does. I mean, it's, yeah. I, I was like watching it going, I've I've played the first game and, and yeah, this is this almost is shot for shot, yeah. you know? So, um, uh, yeah, that's kind of interesting. But uh, so who knows? Maybe, maybe I sticking... I anything bad about it. No, it could maybe, still be very good. It's maybe just going sticking, to be possibly very similar. Yeah, maybe sticking yeah. that close to it is, is the sensible thing to do. So uh, I don't know, but we'll see. Maybe we'll get, actually get a decent video game to movie conversion from that, but we'll see. Mm. So the bigger news stories this week, the two that we have are, are both connected to the Belantiverse. The first one yeah. is the the uh, Riverdale team is working on a Sabrina the Teenage Witch series, which is something that they've talked about pretty much ever since Riverdale was announced. Okay. Um, there's been talk of whether Sabrina will actually show up. We did an interview, uh, the video interviews up on the YouTube channel with uh, KJ Apper, uh, who thankfully is... is fine uh after because yeah, you heard about this the yeah, yeah the car crash this week basically decided to drive himself home after shooting for 10 hours and going even though they they apparently had said to him you know if you're feeling tired don't get in a car you know we'll we'll drive you home and he I still decided was, to drive I home. it was 16 hours yeah there you go and yeah. you, nobody i mean they to be fair the studio should also have been absolutely insistent to say you are not going to get a car after been shooting for 16 yeah. hours but you know i'm glad that he's all right anyway but um I was watching uh, Collider TV talk yesterday. I was doing a bit of catch up with it, and um, Josh McCuga, the guy who hosts the show, he he was going off on a little bit of a rant of saying like, you know, um, if you have like firefighters or people like that, then those people like should be going out late at night and stuff. But he said just just for a TV show, you shouldn't be doing like sixteen hours. And he was he was saying to um, Grace, who was one of the other panelists, because she used to be an an actress herself, and she was saying like how yeah how long the days could be, and he said. Yeah. Like, isn't there any kind of way you can stretch things out a bit more? I said, you know, you, you do have deadlines and stuff, but is he, he said like there should just be something different done about it because that's that's a very very long work day no matter it what is. The, the job is. Yeah. yeah. It is, and I—I I mean, I get it. Whether something should be done about that, I—you know—I don't know. But I mean, sixteen hours is so seemed like a ridiculously long work day. Mm, what he shouldn't have done, and what the studio shouldn't have let him do, is get into a car. You yeah. know, that was idiotic. So um, you know, I, I think fault on kind of on both sides really for that. But, um, but he's okay. So, but he's okay. Know. So that's yeah. fine. But yeah, so the uh, ever since ever since we uh, you know which came up in that interview which is why i happened to mention it but uh came mm -hmm. up in the interview with him about whether sabrina will be joining the show and i've always thought that's a little difficult to do with riverdale because riverdale doesn't have like you know witches and stuff yeah. in it so no. it's it's kind of a difficult thing to add in to that 
But having said that, it's not going to be the original Sabrina the Teenage Witch. So if you're familiar with the the old TV show, which is based on the kind of original Archie comics, it's not based on that. It's based on something called The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, which was done by Archie Horror, which is a sort of sub-brand of the Archie comics, and he's a sort of more adult version of it. So not like the mm. Melissa Joan Hart 90s TV show. It's going to be yeah. it's going to be a, in the same vein that sort of Riverdale is a much darker version of the kind of Archie comic books. This is also going to be a much darker virtual version of So Sabrina. they actually like separate versions, what Melissa did and what this is, and they actually like... Yeah, you know I mean, because the Melissa, Joan, the Melissa Joan Hart 90s TV show was sort of based on the original Archie comics, which, you know, had Sabrina the Teenage Witch and was kind of cutesy and fun and, you know, was a comedy, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it was a children's show. Whereas Chilling Adventures of Sabrina is based on the same premise, but it's a very different, more horror-based comics. It's actually a separate comic book. Okay, it's like a different take on it. Yeah, so it's a different take on it entirely. And that's what the TV show is going to be based on. So uh, it's a dark coming-of-age tale, which is sort of horror, occult, and witchcraft. It's been described as being more in the vein of Rosemary's Baby or The Exorcist, rather than, (laughs) you know, so it's very much darker. Sabrina must wrestle to reconcile her dual nature as a half-witch and half-mortal while fighting the evil forces that threaten her and her family. It's been viewed as a companion series to Riverdale, so although, I mean, maybe the character will pop up at some point, but... In so like Riverdale, a flash to arrow kind of thing. Or? I don't think it's even going to be that closely connected. I I don't think. I mean, I or could like be wrong about that. Twenty four legacy to twenty four kind of. Yeah, I think thing. it's it's more same universe, but whether they will actually cross over at any point, I don't know. It's been written by Agrary Sankasa, who is the chief creative officer of Archie Comics, and actually wrote the um, Riverdale pilot as well. Uh, and The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, the comic book. So he's one of the kind of main guys behind it. He's also going to serve as showrunner, and it's being produced with uh, Greg Balanti as well, who obviously produces Riverdale and all the DC Mm -hmm. shows. It's going to be piloted for CW some point in, I mean, it's in early development, but it's probably likely to be next fall season or next autumn season they're right. likely to aim for it to come out if, if they're sort of talking about it now so uh, it'll probably shoot over next summer I would have thought but yeah interesting one I mean you know I think that's I, I wasn't even aware that Archie had like a, this cor- this horror strand to it I wasn't either, no. so uh, yeah that was quite a surprise when I was looking this up but I, I think you know now knowing that that makes sense you know and yeah. that's what they're basing it on so uh, so yeah I think I think that could be kind of interesting and uh, sticking with with the uh, Balanti stuff uh, over on the Arrowverse, Russell Tovey, who we know from Quantico and uh, HBO's Looking, and him and her, and of course being human, where he played George the werewolf, he is joining the Arrowverse as the Ray. The Ray, if you don't know that character, he's been around since the forties, but there was a version of the character created by uh, Jack C. Harris and Joe Quesada in uh, nineteen ninety two, which is going to be the basis of the character for the tv show he's a reporter who discovers a group of government scientists working on a secret project to light into a weapon of mass destruction before he can report his findings the project head exposes ray to a genetic light bomb and uh, the bomb fails to kill him but instead turns him into a superhero with life-based powers so i mean you know it's just a standard like superhero origin <laughs> yeah, story yeah, really yeah. but yeah i mean i 
I really like Russell Tovey. I think he's a great actor. He's been in some fantastic stuff. He he plays that sort of comic and and serious stuff quite well yeah. off each other. Which, so he, which show is he joining for this? Th- this is, is what we're not sure about. He's he. We know he's going to show up in the crossover event, which okay, we've actually got cool. a title for as well now, which is called Crisis on Earth X. There is minor spoiler, although somebody kind of shout, shouted at me online for saying, "Oh, there's a spoiler in there," and it. This is a spoiler, I suppose, but I think you'd be an idiot not to know that this was going to happen this season because uh, the whole thing's based around Barry and Iris's wedding, mm. and and well, the, the, yeah, kind of, we knew that That's was really really a, spoiler. a spoiler. We sort of not knew like that was going to happen. Dies or something. No, so uh, <laughs> so we kind of we kind of knew that was going to happen. So yeah, they released a really nice poster for it, which is sort of based on the old comic book covers. It's really lovely poster they've done but the ray is mentioned on there so we know he's in that episode we just don't know which series i think at the moment they've not really said which series he's going to show up in um i mean he would easily fit i think on flash or legends i think those would be the obvious places to introduce Mm. him i would have thought because it sounds like there's sort of interdimensional earth things happening with this as well so uh because crisis on earth x basically involves i think some uh some evil versions of of some of the characters kind of invading the the wedding okay. so so it sounds like it, it, that could be quite good fun but yeah so uh so yeah I, i'm quite looking forward to that I, I mean obviously they've got to try and up the game after they had the entire place invaded by aliens last season so uh so that's going to be kind of interesting yes. i think yeah, and I think with it'd be good if he was in Legends as well, because Legends is a show where you can keep some of the main core of the team, but you do need to change things up now and again, yeah. uh, which, which they did do last season. So yeah, so um, um, so yes, I think I think that could be good, and I think he's a great addition as well. I think he's really good. Which um which episodes are the crossover ones this year? Uh I'm not sure. Off the top of my head, I think it was something like seven or eight. Last year it was episode eight. Yeah, I think it's around about the same yeah. again. Because they had like seven episodes and they had the crossover and then they used the ninth episode for like the mid-season finale. Yeah, I I think it's going to be around about the same again. Um, okay. And, but I, I believe this time around Supergirl is going to be properly part of it. So it will be, because last time it was sort of a three-parter and now I think it's going to be a four-parter. Actually, so. Oliver won't basically tell her to go away because that's kind of what he did last year. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. And I was like, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. she's so powerful and everything. Yeah. yeah. So we'll we'll see, but uh, looking forward to that. That should be good. All the DC shows are coming back in October, I believe. I, I read somewhere earlier on. I think they. I mean, we kind of knew that anyway. Like the new S, so it should be soon after that. Yes, I, I, yeah. it will probably be towards the end of October because they tend to leave a couple of weeks when they first kick mm. off. So uh, yeah. it may be the week after. It may be. It may be that it ends up being towards the end of October, but we'll see. So that's all the news for this week. Next up, we have the interview. <laughs> So the interview this week is with a composer. It's Jeremy Nathan Tizer, who is the composer for Raw Data, which is one of the best-selling VR games, I think, that's been released on uh, various platforms. He's a composer for film and TV, but he's been really focused on the video game work recently, particularly the VR stuff. Uh, Like a lot of kids, he started off by playing the piano, but his mum noticed that he was sort of this hyper kid that loved to tap on everything and Mm -hmm. uh, started asking if he'd like to switch across onto drums 
drums. So he did, and that's where he kind of really found his his passion. He studied rock, then sort of jazz and funk and played in bands in schools and stuff. His big break came when he was in college and he ended up scoring a VR project and making friends with Palmer Lucky and James Liff. If you don't know those names, Palmer is one of the founders of the Oculus VR system and sort of responsible for creating Oculus. And uh, James is the chief creative officer for Servos, who are the company behind Raw Data. So, uh, you know, both of them went on to create these kind of, you know, be part of this big VR thing. So we talk a lot about Raw Data and, you know, how different it is composing the music for things like VR. We also talk a little bit about how he ended up being on screen in the hit movie La La Land, uh, which is just kind of a good story. So uh, it's interesting interview. It's about 20 minutes long. We'll see you afterwards with some highlights for next week on TV. Hey, Jeremy, how's it going? Good, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Really should start off by um, talking a little bit about uh, how you got into composing in the first place. So do you want to just uh, explain that? Yeah, I mean, you know, like like most of the composers in the industry, I've been in music since I was four. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I was just studying as a kid, learning. I started on piano, moved to drum set, did played in bands all through high school, like rock bands. And I played in the school's jazz band. We didn't have a marching band, so I didn't get to do that. Um, and then my college, I went to Cal State Northridge. They didn't have a marching band either at the time. Uh, so I totally missed out on that whole thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> as a drummer, no less. Yeah. Um, but I originally was a music business major and I was just bored because <laughs> <laughs> I've been writing my own contracts for my own band since I was 14 or 15. And then <laughs> when I was 16, I started booking shows locally in the San Fernando Valley for like touring metal bands and hardcore bands and punk bands. And so I was organizing concert tours to come to our local hole in the wall venues. So I've been doing all this stuff since I was 15, <laughs> 16 and I was just bored out of my mind. And, and, um, I found out about this film scoring program they had at Cal state Northridge. That was, you know, couldn't even have been five years old at the time. Right. Um, run by Elizabeth Sellers, who's still there. And she liked some of the stuff I had put together, some of the music I had written and arranged for my previous bands. And she said she'd give me a shot. So I found out that I had a knack for orchestra when I started taking the classes and I got really into it. And then from there, I heard about this USC, the University of Southern California had this scoring for motion picture and television program. And I was really intrigued by it because, you know, Jerry Goldsmith used to teach there. Marco Beltrami went there. Steve Bernstein went there. Pete Anthony, all these legends went there. And then Chris Young, who's one of my favorite horror composers, one of my favorite composers in general, he teaches there. And I was like, I want to go study from him. So <laughs> I worked my butt off and got in. And so I went there. And the year that I went there, Bruce Broughton came in and started teaching orchestration there, which was like, holy cow. <laughs> so I'm getting all these legends everywhere. And it was just, you know, it just kind of took off from there. Well, that's a, that's a good start. So, um, yeah, you've you worked on kind of various different things, uh, sort of short films and a few video games even early on as well. Uh, how did you really sort of start to get into the video game side of things that actually started at usc um i'll never forget this this is one of my favorite stories <laughs> um so gary shyman the composer for bioshock was our teacher for the video games music courses he's wow. become one of my mentors and also one of my close friends now yeah uh, 
he had this idea because that was his first year teaching there as well. And he had this idea of bringing the USC game students to our class and having them pitch to us for a composer. To, for <laughs> a composer. And then we would get an opportunity to demo for up to three games. And the, the students, the, the student game makers would choose the composer whose demo they liked best and that's who'd get the gig. So we get a little real world experience there. Yeah. And this was six years ago now. And uh, yeah, wow. Six years ago now. OK. <laughs> <laughs> um, for our class, there was a couple of really solid games that everyone just lined up to go after the pitch was over. Everyone lined up to go sign up on the sheet and, and meet the game makers. And I saw this one VR game project that it was called Shade. And it was basically the, the pitch that was delivered was horrible. No one understood it except me. <laughs> I picked up on three things. I picked up on virtual reality, alien world and Disney-esque. <laughs> cool. <laughs> And like, yeah, so I, I anyone that knows Disney knows that that's going to be something really interesting. So I went up to talk to her about it and I was like, let me get this straight. You can walk around freely in a virtual reality space on an alien world and you want it to be beautiful and fun. Yeah. And she was like, yeah, that sounds about right. I'm like, all right, I'll sign up. And she goes, that's great. You know, I'm, I'm really happy you're going to sign up. But they said we could wait the whole 45 minutes. So I'm going to see if anyone if anyone else signs up, too. I stood next to her for 45 minutes because I wanted that project. And not a single <laughs> other person showed up to sign up. Sign up on them. So she was like, I guess there's no point in having you demo. So I got the job. Oh, <laughs> <Aww>, poor girl. <laughs> but what was interesting was, and this I didn't know yet, and this was 2011. This was like a, a full year before Oculus's Kickstarter even went live. Right. Uh, you know, so I ended up meeting a lifelong friend who was also working on that named James Iliff, who is now the chief creative officer of Servios. Right. I also also met a gentleman named Palmer Lucky who was building the head mount displays for USC, which was the ones we were using. Right. And now look who those people are. <laughs> but it was, we were all at USC at the time. And, and that was pretty much how I got started. I also met my friend Chow Huang, who I believe works at Google now. Right. Um, the one that gave me my first two mobile games right okay cool yeah so, so all that came from this one project that's wow. crazy yeah <laughs> yeah it's amazing the connections you make um, i mean the big thing that you've you've been working on recently is uh, of course raw data yes this uh this video game which is is a, a vr game i have played i haven't got a vr rig myself but i have played a demo of this um at uh, the there's a big pc gaming expo that they do here every year so i i managed to get onto it when i was down there so i have had a little oh. bit of experience with it and it's really fun it's it's certainly out of there was a load of vr games th there this year and that was one of the ones that i remember sticking out to me so yeah. do you want to just explain a little bit about what the game is before we get into the sort of the music side yeah sure um so the game takes place a few hundred years in the future and imagine a world where the digital era never really fully took off but you still had evolution in technology. So the idea being that this company, Eden Corp, formed to create artificial intelligence to try and help out humanity, make our lives easier with robots and stuff, right? Kind of <laughs> like iRobot. Yeah. Um, however, something's off. The human race is basically gone. 
and the robots have taken over the world. So you join this this syndicate group whose job is to go and break into the building and hack into their mainframe, steal all the raw data and extract it from the company, from their, their computer systems, so you can expose it to the world and kill off the, co- the company and try and end this robot overtaking. Okay, so, and it's, it's yeah. kind of a... Um, uh, it's kind of a, a shooter, basically, isn't it? Yeah. And you're in this sort of VR 3D world. Is is yeah. essentially it's a wave based it's a wave based first person shooter with a tower defense vibe to it. Right. But it kind of, the game kind of evolved over time, and so the newest level to be announced and released was the Botanical Gardens, which is a more linear. That's the level that kind of defines the game. Right. And it's the heart of the story. So okay. it's more line instead of just a standard wave shooter. Right. Okay. Cool. What's it like composing music for a VR game? Is it any different to composing for other? sorts of projects i think so i think um the biggest difference is it's way more of a personal experience right you're putting on this intrusive headgear like you have to actually put something on your face and hold on to these controllers and make sure you have enough room and you have to you physically become the character and you become the story and because of that, the experience is different. And I think that actually helped me create something a little bit more special and unique with the music because of it. Because it was, I mean, I'd go in every two weeks to play the updates on the game without any music. And I would just say, how did that make me feel? And then I'd get to go home and, and write the music that that level made me feel while I was playing it. And so it was it was just a very unique experience and a different way to work that oftentimes in the media world we're we're not offered the luxury to do we don't have the time to do usually you just have to write as quickly as possible and just get it in the game and you're sitting at home playing it all the time but it wasn't that at all so it was it was it was fun (laughs) yeah that that is a a very different kind of way to working because i've I've spoken to game composers before where i mean sometimes they're even working because you know the game's still in development they're working to kind of pictures and storyboards and that sort of thing so the fact that you can get your hands on it is sort of makes quite a big difference i imagine well yes and no i mean i was also working to pictures and that kind of stuff but the way so i signed on to raw data about two years ago now yeah Um, none of the hardware was even available yet and the so i had to go into their offices to play like once a month or every couple of weeks because it would be updated and when i first signed on they were still in the gray box mode so there wasn't any visuals there weren't any graphics they had um concept art but i was basically playing the game i would go in and play a gray box and see what it was what what style of game they were going for and then we'd look at the pictures together me and james and i would look at the pictures together and go over the story and the concept and then we'd figure out what kind of style we wanted the music and that was for the original 10 minute demo that was released at the vr la winter expo a year and a half ago right right Um, so you know and then from that our process for this game just kind of grew and evolved. And the problem with VR right now is that the the headgear and then you got it, it. It's like it's so expensive. And then on top of that, you have to have a fifteen hundred two thousand dollar American dollars yeah. <laughs> uh, PC that's powerful enough to run such a big game like that. And yeah. then you have 
the space to play it, which yeah. we did it at our previous apartment. <laughs> and only now, just like two days ago, I think the HTC Vive dropped down to $600 for the whole unit instead of $800. So everyone go get it and play raw data. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, you know, it was just, it, it was, you couldn't get the stuff. You couldn't, or the head mounts, couldn't afford to buy, build the PC. And so I had to go to their offices every couple of weeks to play, to play updates and talk with them. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, how do you, uh, I mean, you've talked about sort of being in the game and how it feels is sort of, is is that sort of how you found the sound for the, the game overall? A little bit. I, I, our big thing was we wanted the score to really feel like the classic science fiction scores of right. the 70s and the 80s. You know, so we wanted it to kind of feel like Total Recall or Terminator or Star Wars, you know, we <laughs> Star Trek. We wanted it to like be able to hold its own against those which for me was like oh crap what are you doing to me man <laughs> those, to me that's as good as it gets that's yeah. the top of the line you can't get any higher than that in terms of science fiction quality but <laughs> yeah so when he was like yeah we want like david arnold jerry goldsmith you know we wanted to be able to i'm like god man <laughs> uh, but yeah. we uh, we we, we looked at our favorite movies as opposed to video games. And we said, if we could make our dream movie, but in a VR game, what would it be? Yeah. And so they pretty much let me pull out all the stops and kind of do whatever I felt was necessary. And they were very accommodating with it, with making sure that I had the tools that I needed to get the job done. And they were very open to just about everything I threw at them. It was crazy. You know, if I had like we, we sat down and like there's so you have the data chamber level, right, which is the this is like this big, vast, empty space kind of reminiscent. When I first played it, what it reminded me of was the scene in Empire Strikes Back when Luke Skywalker gets his hand cut off. Oh, yeah, yeah. His father, that big open space with the bridgeways without railings on it. Yeah, that's what the data chamber was supposed to feel like. So I went with like this big, dark brooding low sounding everything had to be dark and like that kind of vibe and so they let me they let me go record the blaster beam the same thing the same <laughs> one used on star trek the motion picture which wow. was like that was a, a nerd's dream come true for sure <laughs> and then the skyport level which is at the top of the building where you seeing storage containers being dropped off and flying drones and you know it was supposed to kind of feel like an urban jungle kind of thing so we wanted to go with that vibe and so but with all the flying drones i wanted to go with something a little more fast paced and heart pounding yeah uh, and then you have the robo labs which is where they're actually making the robots that are coming to kill everybody and so that one you know we kind of went a little more on the nose we wanted a little more electric guitars and anvils and and drums and you know a pulsing groove for that and then you've got the botanical gardens which was japanese gardens inspired mixed with a modern looking facility so that one I, they let me kind of tell more of a story but there's a lot of taiko drums and and various ethnic instruments we did i got a tuvan throat singer um i was I gonna got, say i was gonna say the, the the notes i had said mixture of didgeridoo throat singing and traditional hacker <laughs> yeah all in the botanical gardens level right <laughs> okay that's very cool so i mean you're you're getting to i suppose one of the nice things about something like a video game when you've got different levels is you you get to very distinctly play with the sound as you go through each different level yeah 
Yeah, that was pretty much it. It was like every every level kind of had to have its own feel and its own vibe. And, you know, we could tie them together with themes and melodies and whatnot and and use like the blaster beam on some of the other levels as well, just to kind of tie it all together. But it was cool. I wanted to give each level its own set of characters. Yeah. So you kind of felt felt the story as it moved along. Yeah. So uh, when you're um, recording this stuff, how, how much are you using real instruments versus virtual instruments? So um, the orchestra itself is all virtual, unfortunately, on this one. Right. Uh, most of the percussion is virtual as well, with the exception being the industrial percussion that we recorded for the Skyport level, which was chains, oil drums, metallic objects, things of that nature that like, instead of using a snare drum, we put a chain on top of an oil drum and made it sound like a snare drum, but it had a more industrial vibe to it. Cool. So I'd say it's like a good split if, if you count the orchestra as one instrument. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> well, it's... It's understandable. I mean, uh, you know, VR, although this is done incredibly well as a VR game, it is still a fairly young technology. Yeah. So there's not like movie money floating around in this genre right. at the moment. So so it kind of makes sense. Plus, there's yeah. some incredible virtual instruments out there these days. Yeah, seriously. And, and what was, you know, again, more, more so about this, what was really fascinating was that I got to write a good number of the score at my piano with just pencil and paper and then go take it to my computer and mock it up. And yeah. so that way I was able to really tune and hone in my orchestration on it. Um, and one of the things you learn in college is good orchestration is good orchestration. And it doesn't matter how bad your mock-up is. If you have good orchestration, your mock-up will sound pretty decent. Uh, <laughs> so I really wanted to focus on that as best as I could, at least for most of the game. <laughs> Once the game really expanded, um, that was about to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I noticed there are a couple of other like video games. You worked a little bit on uh, Company of Heroes and on Dragon Age 2 as well, I noticed through in your credits. Yeah, I mean, I was an assistant on both of those. Um, Company of Heroes was the movie version. Um, okay. I worked, yeah, I used to work for my first job out of graduate school was assisting Freddie Viedman, who is known for Beware the Batman, Green Lantern animated series. He does a ton of horror films. Right. Um, yeah. The guy's a machine. He's an incredible, incredible, incredible composer. Um, and he's now Emmy winning. So congratulations to him. <laughs> um, but that was one of my first jobs where it was more of a tech job out of there. And so I got to I was bouncing stems and creating parts for the recording sessions for him and i got to be very very hands-on with all his stuff and it was a lot of fun with dragon age i believe i was still at cal state northridge i was getting ready to graduate and inon zur is actually another one of my mentors right. um, but i've known him since i was like three or four years old <laughs> he used he used to play the organ at my synagogue and <laughs> he's the one that trained my brother my older brother to play the organ at temple my brother's now a cantor and nice. <laughs> and when i went to college for to study composition my brother was like you should call him on that's what he does and i was like oh yeah he did digimon didn't he <laughs> and my brother was like dude he's he's like one of the top game composers i'm like really so i called him and i go over to his monster house in encino in a beautiful custom studio that over there i didn't even know i remember when he lived in a smaller home in encino and was writing in his garage doing power rangers when i was a kid <laughs> I, mean, I remember all that. And so, you know, we talked and 
he was gracious enough to kind of let me be a runner for him for a couple of projects and let me come to some sessions and drop off hard drives and pick up clients from the airport to bring to his studio. Like Idan Reichel, the Israeli singer, I got to go pick him up from his hotel in Santa Monica nice. and bring him to the known studio in Encino. And so he was really, really gracious enough to to offer me those opportunities early on so I could really watch and watch the process for writing game music. Yeah, he's I mean, it's all a great grounding for kind of getting where you are now, I guess. So. Yeah. You've also got an actor credit on there, which we should talk about, which is uh, for La La Land. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so you you popped up in uh, one of the scenes in La La Land. Do you want to just talk about that? Yeah, I'm in the opening scene on the freeway. Um, when the blue truck pops open, there's four musicians in there, one of which is kind of hidden in the back because of the lighting, but there's a marching bass drum that looks like it's floating in the air that's me hitting it (laughs) (laughs) awesome so how did you you end up on that so that was a union gig um peter rotter our my union contractor out here another dear friend as well he's the guy in charge of hiring musicians for the orchestras as well as for on-camera music work right Um, so he's got my head shot (laughs) and every now and then he'll send out my picture along with a bunch of other young drummers and it's like a casting call and they'll look at the pictures of people and say okay i want this guy for this scene this guy for that scene my one of my closest friends in the world sam webster is actually the drummer in the 80s band at the pool party (laughs) Uh, so yeah if you watch him smiling and being a goober it's it's really fun to watch that guy (laughs) sam webster um but so peter Call Peter's office emailed me and said, we've got this shoot. Make sure to save these two days if you're interested. I'm like, ah, why not? I'll do it. Um, call time is 4 a.m. Oh, great. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, why not? I could use the money. We didn't even know. The name, the movie was under one of those production titles. Right, yeah. I don't yeah. remember what it was, but it wasn't La La Land. So I didn't even know what the movie was called at the time. <laughs> but they sent us sheet music and they sent us a little clip of the score that for the section we were going to be dancing and playing our instrument to and uh they to prepare and then we had no idea we were getting ourselves into (laughs) (laughs) no you end up on one of the biggest movies to come out of well certainly the biggest musical to come out of hollywood in a very long time so yeah amazing (laughs) yeah it was 105 degrees that day and we were literally on top of a freeway they actually shut down a freeway interchange for us to shoot on well traffic's so bad in la not like anybody's gonna notice (laughs) oh i know it was so funny there was actually traffic on the freeway below us from people stopping to look because there, you know, you had 50 dancers jumping on cars and stuff, and bunch and a big camera crew. And yeah, it's LA; people are used to it. But it's still when you see the choreographed dance number on top of a freeway, you're gonna stop and go, "What the hell is going on up there?" <laughs> That's nuts. Oh dear. <laughs> few final questions for you. Sure. First of all, what are you doing next? Um, Right now I've got a feature film coming up called Chameleon. Cool. um, Written and directed by my good friend Marcus Mazel. He did Actor for Hire, um, another one of the features I did. Yeah. Um, This is more of a crime thriller, so it would be nice to kind of change gears for a little bit. I've got a documentary miniseries coming up for another director. 
and I've got a pilot that I'm working on that I'm actually involved in the production phase of it as well and the creation of it. Oh, cool. um, I don't want to say much more than that right now, but that's going to be a good one. Cool. And uh, yeah, then I have some more VR meetings coming up. I've been talking with uh, a couple companies doing some of their things. Nothing I can really say just yet. You know, NDA is in the tech world. Yes, yeah, I know. I, I know. But, it's yeah. always the same with games people. They can never tell tell you anything. Yeah, what are you working on? Some things. Uh, yeah, stuff. Stuff I can't. This sort of red dot appears on their forehead. Um, so, yeah, last two questions, which we always ask people, because we cover a lot of TV shows on the uh, sure. on the site. So first question is, what TV shows are you watching at the moment? Oh, man, anything Marvel on Netflix. <laughs> I'm like, I'm obsessed with what they've done with that. I thought that I know a lot of people are, are hating on it, but I thought the Defenders was killer. Yeah, I love it. I binged that thing in a day and a half. It was so good. <laughs> yep, me too. Did exactly the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Um, other, than that, other than that, I haven't really had time to keep up with too many shows, but Doctor Who's been probably my favorite show. I tuned into the reboot of that one. I want to say in like 2007. It came back in 2005, right? That sounds right. Yes. Okay. I came back into it two years after it was rebooted. That's where. That, so if it was either 2005 or 2009, whatever it was, I joined yeah. back into that two years after it came out, and I've been hooked on it ever since. It's a really good series. I've kind of sad to see Peter Capaldi go he's uh he's been good I know so. I do miss the David Tennant days yeah. um, the, the fast paced style of the show yes but. it's it's gonna be interesting to see how the uh, new female doctor comes oh, across I'm, yeah I'm excited that i think it's 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 about time first of all i know there people are saying that but i think it's just going to be a good change of pace with everything yeah i mean i i've said all along i don't care whether the doctor's male or female as long as it's good that's that's all i really care about <laughs> so uh yeah but and the pace as well it would be good to have like you say something a bit faster paced would be nice as well and uh finally if you had the opportunity to work on any tv show past present or future which show would it be star trek yeah i'm a track nerd for sure um you know i i'm i was born in 87 so I grew up, I'm part of the, the TNG Voyager DS9 um, right, demographic yeah. or generation. So, you know, I grew up on that. I, I make it a point at least once a year to rewatch Voyager and Deep Space Nine. They're just, you know, they're part of my life and it would be an <laughs> honor to be a part of that. Awesome. So looking forward to uh, to the new series as well of that coming up. We've got Jeff Russo, he's he's killer composer and a great person and his whole team is amazing i'm very excited to hear what they come up with yeah i've i've interviewed jeff a number of times he's a very nice guy so uh yeah i'm <laughs> gonna have to try and get him back on when in fact i think we are getting him back on when uh star trek comes out so okay. i'll be sure to listen for it <laughs> that should be good so uh yeah keep an ear out i shall uh, let you get back to your uh, day thank you for coming on and spending a little bit of time talking through your uh, your work and stuff it's been cool yeah yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Have a great day. Thank you, you too. Cheers. Bye. Bye. So that was the interview with Jeremy. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, raw data is available on Steam. I'm not sure whether it's on other platforms, actually. I didn't check, but uh, I, I know cool. it's it's uh, certainly ba based on uh, Steam for Oculus as well, so uh, you can go and get that. Now we've got some highlights for next week on TV. <laughs> 
So highlights for next week. Uh, first show up is one that I'm pretty sure me and Matt are both probably looking forward to. Designated mm-hmm. Survivor returns for its second season. That's on the 28th I'm, of September on Netflix. I'm kind of half a season behind though. Oh, terrible. So I keep, I keep seeing it on my list, but then... You need to go I, back to it. Uh, yeah. It's good. because the season's long. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is yeah. a long season. That's been bugging me for ages. Like, I, I should keep watching. I, I liked the show. There's nothing wrong with the show. It just... One of the things that just sort of slipped away, and I'm like, I should yeah. be watching this. Really, I'm such a big Kiefer fan, and I did like it. So, yeah, yeah. yeah I've so, got a lot of it to watch. Yes, you need to go back to that. You've got until the 28th of September to go and binge watch oh, the I rest. I don't of think it. that's going to happen. <laughs> um, so there's that. There's uh, Law and Order: True Crime, which is this uh, anthology version of Law and Order. The, basically, it's a it's a true crime series that they happen to have stuck the Law and Order tag onto the front of because it bears oh. no relation to any other Law and Order thing. So uh, it's this stars Eddie Falco, who you'll know from Nurse Jackie in Sopranos. It's um, based on the Menendez brothers' murders this first season. It's it's going to be this anthology thing. So it's, so it's sort of People versus OJ kind of idea to it. I, I, some early reviews have come in, don't kind of rate it that highly, but I don't know, we'll see. Uh, it's on Sky Living. That's coming on the 28th as well. That's at 9pm. Then we've got Room 104, which is coming for its first season to Sky Atlantic. This isn't a, uh, a new version of Room 101, but it's a HBO anthology comedy series about people that pass through uh, Room 104 of an American motel. So um, it's, it's basically the room is the connecting factor and the people there's sort of different people that come into the room every day that that looks like it could be kind of interesting uh it's hey. coming <laughs> coming on the 28th of september at 10 30 that's so all of these have Is been like on the horror 20- series or something no like, no no it's, <laughs> no i think it's it's about you know so it might be a couple in the middle of an argument or it could be a single guy calling hookers or i don't know i mean i've no idea what what the you know but it's right. it's so it's not it's not a horror thing i don't think it's a comedy series just about events that happen to be set in a hotel room i mm. think that's the basic idea then we've got curb your enthusiasm which returns after a five-year break for its ninth season that's coming to sky atlantic on the 2nd of october at 10 p.m so i know a lot of people are looking for that coming back had some excitement yeah yes i've not seen it myself so. I, I think i've seen the odd episode and it has i mean it is very very funny but you know it was by the time i caught it it was quite late into that run and i'm not going to go back and watch like eight seasons of something if i can help it so i might i might go and watch some episodes of this because i do like larry david he is very funny lucifer returns for its third season on the 3rd of october which sees tom ellis back as lucifer um i love this series it's fantastic might not bear a huge amount of resemblance to the comic book but i think they've done an amazing job with the tv show and tom ellis is so watchable it's just very very funny so uh, that I'm looking forward to. And then Z Nation returns for its, uh, or Z Nation returns for its fourth season on Pick TV on the 3rd of October at 10 pm. That is back, which is the slightly sillier the, the silly show. zombie show. Yeah. yeah, the sillier zombie show, which I, mm. uh, I where, rather where enjoyed. You have like zombies that form a tire, roll down a street that continue to pick up other zombies, all that sort <laughs> of thing. Yeah. Yes, yes. They had, and they had the Liberty Bell, which bounced off the back of a truck and squashed loads of zombies. And, yeah it's uh, that, that. that was quite early on i'm sure that was a, i'm sure it was the liberty bell that they i can't remember yes okay. i'm sure it was but that was quite early on that. but yes there's all sorts of silly bizarre things that happen in that so it's it's kind of drama but with 
with a slightly sort of tongue-in-cheek element to it. But uh, yeah, really enjoyable. Coming to Pick TV, that's on the 3rd of October at uh, 10pm. That's Z Nation. So I believe that's everything for this week, unless you've got anything else you want to put in, Matt. I, I don't want to like, you know, bring up old things or whatever with Gotham, but um, season four has started in the US and I've, I've continued to hear good things. So I hope that something happens soon. Yeah. Um, my, Um, my feeling is now I can't, I can't say really too much without getting people into trouble, but, uh, yeah, I mean, channel five do have the rights. They have bought season three. They're struggling to air it at the moment. They are hopeful that they will air it some point in the, in the autumn for season three. But my personal feeling is given the problems they've had with season three, I doubt they will pick up season four okay which will put it back onto the open market and need somebody else to pick it up now netflix would seem like the obvious place for that because they Mm -hmm. are technically premiering season three whether they want to do that and put it out weekly i don't know they will obviously get it eventually because it will it will come on to them naturally uh but that will be next year which will be annoying because we don't have to wait before season five yeah so season four that would be kind of annoying if we have to wait a year for it. Hopefully that won't be the case. Season four is is pretty much in limbo right now, I think. I mean, Channel 5 officially haven't said they're not picking it up. My gut feeling is they won't, but that is my opinion, not like any insider knowledge or anything. That's my okay. opinion on it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I my feeling is that... that Gotham may be looking for a a new home. Mm. Whether that would be Netflix or possibly Fox, I guess, because Fox do own it. So, so. so that yeah. would be a possibility. Mm. But we'll see. It's, we'll we'll see what I, happens. The only reason I'm bringing it up is because season four just just started again. And, yeah, uh, and I know people I, I, are asking about I, I it. I watched the season three finale, and without spoiling too much, they fixed something that was really annoying me with the show. They fixed it, and I watched the season four trailer, and it looks like it's going in a direction that I actually in my favorite place. Yeah. Uh, I like the previous seasons and stuff and I didn't watch all the season three but um, yeah I just I'm, I'm looking forward to season four when I'm just comes, I'm so. just very happy they've said Fish Mooney isn't coming back so yeah me too <laughs> as well as uh, from what I've seen everyone on the internet is happy about that yeah so. yeah I really yeah. didn't like that character nothing against the actress I think the actress is fabulous uh, no. I just hated that character so with all that out of the way if you want to find the latest news and air date information throughout the week you can go to the website at geektown.co.uk for us uh, find Matt at entertainmenttalk.org as well you can yep. uh, get in touch with our questions and comments or e- by emailing us on podcast at geektown.co.uk you can leave a message on the website post you can find us at geektown on twitter on facebook at facebook.com forward slash geektown on youtube at youtube.com forward slash geektown and on instagram at geektown uk that's everything we shall see you next week Bye-bye. bye bye Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.